Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Nimrod, New Mexico. And Bear, the reason we're coming from here is we have a podcast episode coming up after this one that really features our family. And my reaction is anyone that wouldn't enjoy that podcast would be a Nimrod. I understand that. I think that's a good use of the word. Yeah, because we've met some Nimrods in our past. None come to mind immediately, but I'm sure I could dig them up. My world has been full of Nimrod. By the way, just as we need to remind our listening audience, we are not making up the names of these towns. No, those are authentic and and quite sad. (laughs) Well stated, Mr. Bayer. Well stated. Hey, what we want to do this week is wrap up our conversation on facilitation. And I thought what might be helpful is to explore for a little bit the obstacles that we think are out there in terms of facilitating groups and maybe even how we deal with those. So thoughts on obstacles. When you think about obstacles that you see in trying to facilitate conversation in any form, in a group, one-on-one, what are some of the obstacles that come to your mind? Well, one of the ones that I tend to get caught up in is uh, not maintaining my impartiality. Mm. There are a number of times I've noticed in my own facilitation with groups that they will begin to discuss an idea and there may be one or two of those thoughts or one or two of those solutions that get my attention in a positive sense. And I begin to be drawn into that as part of the people working at the solution. Mm. And as a result, I realize I'm leaning or maybe even more than that, supporting one view over other views. And I think that I've gotten caught at that a couple of times. And and so I do know that for myself, that's an area that I have to discipline myself to say, you need to stay in a good place where people believe they can share their views and you will hear them out. And so partiality towards content or the particular ideas that you find some ideas more appealing than others. How about towards people? Yeah, my my impartiality in that sense regarding people tends to be not so much being drawn in by someone who is super persuasive or particularly articulate, but mine is to get put off by people in the group and be watching them very carefully and be very inclined, if not to dismiss, to dissuade anyone else from being influenced by them. My impartiality goes toward the negative, that if I'm going to be impartial, I'm going to be impartial in a negative sense rather than positive sense. So you could possibly be called a facilitator with an edge, a facilitator that when people run into that edge, they might get cut. They'll feel it. They'll know what's happening. That's interesting because I think we would both agree impartiality is a real key to being able to facilitate. In fact, we've argued in the past that one advantage of not knowing the content well is it gives you the perspective of not taking size, not becoming partial towards an idea. But even with that, I've been in conversations where an idea surfaced and I said, wow, that's really interesting. And so you can get caught up in the idea and all of a sudden, even unwittingly, begin to show some partiality towards a particular perspective, an approach, an idea, and that will surface. And so that notion of maintaining impartiality, any thoughts on how you deal with that? What do you do to to address that if it's internal or how you do it externally? 
Well, you know, there are groups that when it's been called out, when someone has wondered if I'm siding, hmm. I will be honest enough to say, you know, I got caught up in one of the ideas or the other idea that was presented. And I want to let you know that I'm pulling myself out of that, getting back to a place where I can help make sure that all the ideas that are available get hurt. So I'll take ownership of the fact that I got caught up and I'll back out that way. And when it's not too severe and I catch it, I'll just remind myself. So I'll make a mental note and do it for myself. So it does seem to me that you're saying one way of dealing with partiality and our own self-awareness of we're moving towards being partial towards some idea is to acknowledge that. I was actually thinking too, I think some of the moves that I make is that if I sense that one idea is getting more attention, and in fact, I think it's a good idea, I might even say out loud to the group, are there other ideas out there? Let's, let's hear a couple other options to this just to bring it back and to encourage an alternative perspective. One of the things that I will do too, is if it comes down to individuals sharing contrasting ideas, and one idea, again, is developing some momentum, I might say, well, and I'll use the name Jim, Jim's idea does not seem to have gotten the hearing that this idea has, and we all seem moved towards it. Let's back up for a minute, and let's make a deliberate attempt to explore Jim's idea a little bit more. One of the things things I do in that same light, Bob, is if there seems to be an idea that has caught the interest of the group, I will sometimes capture that idea and highlight it by putting it up on a board or Mm. making it very visible and saying, okay, we know that that's had value to us. Let's move on to some other ideas because now we've captured that. We can come back to that. That lets people let go of it temporarily. And in a way for listeners out there that are not trained in learning and development theory or not trained in HR theory, oftentimes I've heard that referred to as the parking lot. What we'll end up doing is putting an idea in the parking lot saying, we want to make sure we keep it. We want to make sure we save it, but we're going to move on. You know, another barrier that I see is the notion of staying present. That's a hard one, actually, in my mind. In the past, I've done a lot of reading on the notion between caring and curing. And curing relates to the idea of we want to fix it. So let's say we're in a group conversation and we've identified a problem and now we're engaged in problem solving. What frequently happens is we're so intent on fixing the problem, we're so intent on curing it, we're so intent on making this work that we forget about the caring side that says, I'm just going to stay present to the conversation. And so what I find is staying present is all about really just staying in the moment, staying in the question versus moving on to the solution. Would you think of that differently when you think about staying present to ideas? If I had to assess my own level of presence at any given time, I would say any time I'm in my own head a lot, I'm not present. Mm. If I'm in a group conversation or I'm trying to process what others are saying, if I'm in my own head, thinking things through, thinking of comments or thinking of anything, then I know at that point I'm not present. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've got Part of being present is being alert to the other, those others who are in conversation and not working internally for some verbal comments you're going to make in the near future. That's a great observation. It takes me back to a couple of the conversations we've had about this notion of the facilitator's role is to really be focused on process, not content. So I love your 
picture that says, if I'm in my head, if I'm thinking about what's being said, if I'm trying to even process in my mind the content of what's being said, I've lost contact with the processes going on in the group. And those are two different processes. One is really about the content. The other is really about the dynamic. And I'm probably going to lean towards the idea that a facilitator, if they're going to err, they ought to err on the side of what's going on dynamically in the group. It's interesting because I think that is a fundamental difference between you and I is that you've always been very good at content and you can clarify it pretty quickly. When you say things, what you've done in saying it as a facilitator is you have summarized or brought that content into a much clearer focus where I tend to really be focused on just keeping the conversation going and restating what others have said and not really thinking as much about the specifics. But I do believe that that's an obstacle. And you can see it in facilitators who are not being particularly good at their work is that they're not staying present. Right. Anytime there's an internal distraction, Mm -hmm. I think at that point, it will be almost impossible for me to stay present. That internal distraction could be not related to what's taking place in the group. It could be a personal issue. I mean, I could be facilitating and have just come out of a very difficult personal conversation or personal situation, and I'm going to be internally distracted. Well, I am not going to be present to what's going on there if I'm distracted by what has gone on somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is a discipline. It is work. For me, I have to acknowledge it. If Mm -hmm. I pretend to stay present to provide attention and yet I'm distracted, that's a pretty quick see-through. Someone's going to see that. Akin to these, and maybe even a subset of the notion of maintaining impartiality, I think another obstacle is ego involvement. When we personally get involved, it's not just that we've become partial to an idea. It's that all of a sudden, our ego has become involved. And more often than not, I tend to think of that as someone has now provoked us, and we have become ego involved in the conversation. And my reaction is that really is an obstacle to being a good facilitator. But that said, how do you deal with that? Well, if there's a provocateur, if I'm in a group where someone is trying to manipulate the situation or me with, let's say, a criticism or a judgment, I use a technique I call fogging. Hmm. I create a fog around me so that I'm very hard to hit. <laughs> and for me, that the way it kind of goes is if someone says, well, you know, that tie you're wearing today is really strange. My first step in fogging is to agree with them. Hmm. But the agreement doesn't consent to what they've said. The agreement is something like, well, you know, you could be right about that. Hmm. That could look pretty strange to some people. Now, when I do that, it frees me not to have to become ego involved in the criticism. At the same time, it causes them to have to hit somewhere else. And so when I've done this fogging, which is to not allow someone's judgment, someone's criticism, someone's provoking to get to me, The very first thing I have to do is I have to agree with them. Hmm. I agree in principle or I agree in a possibility, not in fact. Interesting. It releases me from having to deal with that. Even as you were talking, I was thinking, I think I use a similar strategy, but quite different in one way. And that is, if I feel someone's trying to get me provoked, that is, they're coming after me or they're coming after my idea. What I actually do is I confront the subtext. Now, what I mean by that is I I don't say, hey, bozo, you know, you need to back off. I actually will challenge what I feel to be the underlying text that this person's using. I'll give an example. I was facilitating, actually, I had a student facilitating a very large group with the Army Corps of Engineers. 
and we were out facilitating a leadership meeting and we were providing some research data that we had done in looking at their group. And there was one guy in the audience that just kept attacking this student, but he kept doing it in the form of questions. And so at one point, I just stood up next to the student and he asked a question again. I said, now you understand that the last few minutes, you've not been asking real questions. You've just been making statements in the form of questions. You understand that, right? And it strikes me that that's how you like to deal with issues. Now, clearly, I was confronting this person and challenging him. What I didn't expect, dead silence. And then the room erupted with applause. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is going on? Because I thought, I'm, I'm not going to get personally ego involved in this, but I am not going to let this go on. And so I challenged it. Well, it turned out that this was something this guy did all the time, and no one had ever challenged him about it. Within like 30 seconds, he got up and left this room. I mean, he just got up in the middle of the presentation and walked out. Well, within about 10 minutes, we were finished and we took a break. The number of people that came up to us and said, that was worth the price of admission. (laughs) I've never seen that happen. We were all so tickled that this person finally got called on what he does, and it was done so smoothly. Well, I look back at that moment in time, and I was out there with a group of students, and they were all delighted that I had taken it on the way I had. All that to say, after telling the story, is maybe my way of avoiding ego involvement is when I feel it coming, when I can feel this urge that we are now under attack, I will try to confront what I see to be what's going on. Now, it's not always worked as well as that one worked. Anyway, I'm going on too long. So we've got to be careful. We've still got obstacles, and we did want to summarize. One of the obstacles I would say I find I'm guilty of all too frequently is I have a tendency to want to bring closure quickly. Somehow I think as a facilitator, my role is to help the group get to its answer. Mm. And so my tendency then is to try and shape the process so that occurs as quickly as possible rather than as thoroughly as possible. Ah. And so sometimes I sacrifice thoroughness for timeliness or efficiency. Hmm. And I think that that's a balance. I don't think there's any virtue in being on time if you haven't got the results you need. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm pushing toward closure, I'm pushing toward kind of a timeline but the group is still battling out things that aren't going to come that soon or aren't going to come that quickly. I think my tendency is to be a bit impatient. Interesting. And I think that's an obstacle because I do think as a facilitator, you have to stay in it with the group and you have to take the time that's necessary. And there's not a way to successfully short circuit that process. You know, for me, what's so interesting is I'm probably just the opposite. People complain about me or talk about me as a facilitator is that, hey, you're taking way too long to get here. And I think it's because I view this particular obstacle as one that mentally inside the moment I go in, I want to address. My assumption is groups will want to move too quickly to closure. And so my job is to prevent that. And so what I will keep doing is pushing back against that, that someone will say, you know, clearly we need to move on and it won't be me. (laughs) And so again, like I said, if I've faulted for anything, It's probably people say, you took a little longer getting there than I would have liked. I'm glad we got there. But you tend to prolong the conversation versus cut this thing short. And that's probably true. So if I'm going to err, now, obviously, I'm using my own internal judgment, and I think I'm right on time. But if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of we may have to take a little longer here to get to where we want to get to than cut this thing off too short. So it's funny because we both look at the same issue and we kind of see it a little differently in terms of how we approach it. 
I think there's one other obstacle I guess I would comment on, and that has less to do with the facilitator and more to do with the group, and that is a lack of curiosity and engagement. And I find that to be true. I think if I am in a group and there doesn't seem to be any interest, no curiosity at all in what we're talking about, and there's a very limited engagement, that's really an obstacle. We're going to actually have to work on that as a facilitator if we think we're going to get anywhere. What would you say to that? I would agree with that, and uh, I'm reminded of an episode a segment of an episode of Ted Lasso. Mm. Are you familiar with the yes. series? There's a segment, an episode where he's playing a dart game with the former husband of the now owner of his soccer team. Mm-hmm. And he challenges this owner to a game in which the wager is former owner gets the chance if he wins to choose the lineup for the final three games. If he loses, he has to stay away from the games entirely. Mm. And in the course of this dart game, this former owner brings out his handmade darts and demonstrates he feels he's a professional at this. And Ted Lasso says, you know, one of the things that I've always wondered is why people aren't more curious. He said, I remember driving to work every day and seeing this quote by Walt Whitman on a billboard and it said, be curious, not judgmental. And he said, for example, if you had been curious, you would have asked the question, do you ever play darts? And I would have said, yes, from the time I'm 10 till the time I'm 16, every Sunday with my father until he died. And his comment about Whitman and curiosity, as opposed to judgment, I think that's critical to the success of any group. Mm. Are the people there acting curious? Do they want to know things as opposed to are they being judgmental and just want to decide things in their favor? Mm-hmm. So uh, that segment really hit me well in the sense of I sometimes have to remind myself, be curious. Well, you know, and not only you, but what you trigger in me, that might be a helpful phrase for a person who's responsible to facilitate a group to put that out there to the group and say, what I really want you to do today is to be curious. We really want to increase our sense of curiosity about what we're talking about, because just that thought causes you to want to explore more, causes you to want to be more engaged, which is a great idea. Now, we are flat out of time, never got to a summary. My own feeling is maybe we should just leave it here to be able to move on to another topic area, and then we will weave facilitation ideas and some of the things we've talked about into those topics. And where we would like to go next, I think, is this whole area of coaching. And one of the things we laid out episodes ago was a distinction between coaching, mentoring, and sponsoring. And that might be a good model for us to take up this topic of coaching and to distinguish it from mentoring and sponsoring, and then to deal with all three of those So what's involved? What's the communication involved? What are the skills involved in being a good coach, being a good mentor, and being a good sponsor? Does that make sense? It makes great sense. I think it's a terrific idea to talk about the distinctions between those and how they're applied both professionally and interpersonally. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. 